0: Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects the content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 5 of season 4 of This Osteopathic Life. I arrive here on this day with you in what appears to be springy weather. We've talked about this in the last few episodes and yesterday it was really summer. It was hot, it was sunny, it felt beachy, although the water is quite chilly, but still diveable briefly. It wasn't necessarily take your breath away cold, but it was make your feet prickly cold in the water. there was definitely a whole different energy in the air about town. People come out in droves, especially when we've been subject to such cold weather, such intense precipitation for what seems like days, weeks, months on end. And there was definitely a totally different energy in the atmosphere. And all that said, we're anticipating freezing temperatures within the next couple of days. And so it really is a be prepared for anything. Appreciate what is here in the moment. And remember to have a winter hat and gloves and a sun hat and sunglasses and sunscreen and raincoat and fleece and layers and blankets and chairs and umbrellas with you at all times. That's really how it felt. And I really tune in pretty well to the weather and to the temperature. I think years of being a runner, you get a sense of what you need to wear in certain spaces. But I really will say I was definitely duped. It was almost that too good to be true that it was going to be warm yesterday and had with me things that were much more appropriate for the Arctic Tundra of the week prior All that said, we managed to escape unscathed without any of the season change sunburn that can often happen in those earliest days, but there was a decent amount of fatigue and it's so interesting, but we can expect when having adapted to a certain climate and a certain way of being and certain activity level and ways that we are bolstering ourselves for what the environment is presenting to us. Of course, it's going to seem different and that can be fatiguing to our bodies, even though The sun can absolutely feel rejuvenating. It can feel like fuel, right? We are solar powered in those moments. It can also be exhausting. And I think back to the first time I visited my sister when she moved out to the East Coast, and I was still an elementary school student, given the age gap between me and my siblings, and it was hot. And it was hot and muggy and you know, swampy out where she lives. And I really did have heat exhaustion. I don't think all the way to heat stroke if we look at the criteria, but I was ill prepared for it. And I took up a lot of activities that I would have taken up back home. And Michigan also still gets hot and humid, but in a different way, different levels of intensity. And so sometimes we're just not prepared for our environments or we're just not adapting at the same rate because we went from Arctic tundra on one soccer Saturday, to warm and sunny summery setting in one week. And many times it takes us longer to navigate that adaptation. So just tuning in to how your environment might be shifting, the rate at which that is happening, and how you're able to keep up. And if it is an inappropriate pace, if it is simply not sustainable to flip and do that 180 at the same amount of time, notice what support you need. So you might need different amounts of rest. You might need those supplies like we talked about. And it sounds like well, we need a whole army backpack with us to be able to sustain all of those pieces. It might be different food, fuel, nutrition. It might simply be recognition that you're going to move at a different pace because the rate of the change in the environment around you is so rapid. You need to counter that by slowing down yourself. And obviously, I say that from a space of feeling challenged with the idea of a slowdown. So I offer that up to you in this moment. But actually, today, we're going to talk about a unique experience, although unique and ubiquitous. Can we have those both at the same time? And I could look them up, but we're not going to because today, this word we're going to explore by my research is not in a dictionary. When I looked it up, it actually came up with some completely foreign and unrelated concepts and suggestions. So it gave me some level of confidence that this is a new word, a new coined semantic moment. But at the same time, it's an experience that I would offer many of us have experienced, continue to experience, and we're going to put it all together. And then we're going to step through and venture into some levels of exploration. And so this came up in a conversation with a friend Thinking about the Muppets, right? And thinking about that experience of knowing them, right? Engaging with them, having this relationship with them. And I've talked to you in the past, right? About Brene Brown being my best friend. And I wrote a blog about that. You can go visit that on my website at This Osteopathic Life and take a read. And the idea, right? That we can have these relationships with people or with not people, but Muppets, and they can be very real even if the other person doesn't know anything about them. And even if that person, that creature, isn't even real themselves. And we're going to talk about real because this word we're going to explore is realistalgia. And the sentiment we were working to capture was the idea that we can have this experience and believe it to be very real. And then when it comes to our awareness that it is not real in the way that we agree that things are real, right? There's a sense of sadness. There's a sense of longing. And I'm reading Bittersweet right now by Susan Cain and highly recommend that. And also the gratitude for it. And then that moment of deciding what actually is real and what does that look like? And so the official, as of today, right, this is the public announcement of real nostalgia and its definition is coming to terms. With the fictional and grieving the loss of youthful optimism while honoring that which was true enough to sustain you in the moment. I'll put that directly in the show notes because sometimes we like to see it in print. And I'll say it one more time here. And then we're going to break it down like we do each week with definitions, but in this new way because we are co creating this experience together and reflecting on how it has come up in each of our lives. Coming to terms with the fictional and grieving the loss of youthful optimism while honoring that which was true enough to sustain you in the moment. I wanna take a slight segue here or an aside or a tangent and we'll see how we circle it back. So maybe that would make it a roundabout or a cul-de-sac. We'll see how it transpires. But earlier this year, and I shared this with you in the podcast, when listening to Will, Will Smith's autobiography, and we could have all kinds of different thoughts about that now in the context of events that have transpired since that book first came out, and at the same time, perfect example of noticing the experience we had, the shifts it can make, honoring that which was and what it meant to us, grieving losses as they arise. But here, I want to actually reference something he spoke to in the book itself, and I do actually think I brought this specifically up in the podcast, but I think it's so relevant here, that we think about loving the characters, right? And he was advised to have his name in the show, be will so that he could be called that people would identify him as his real name. So he wasn't always identified as the character. We can think about Alfonso Roberto, right? Who was Carlton and so many people don't even know, right? Don't even acknowledge that he has another name. And I want you to think about any characters in movies, on television shows, in books where you very much felt the realness Of them. And Will Smith makes the point that everybody's a character. Even your real you is still a character that you are living into, that you are forming and shaping based on the feedback you're getting from the world around you. So, while yes, absolutely, and I am not a Hollywood actor, I don't have a personal frame of reference, but thinking about those beloved characters and how much we know and relate to them, how much we want to hang out with them and meet with them for a beverage, for an event, whatever that might be, to pick their brains, to have a conversation, to walk and talk with them, the character. And we can also then acknowledge the person beyond that character. once not say behind it, but through that character, right? Their actual person and persona, which again, is shaped in similar ways. It might not be scripted, As directly, but it's certainly fueled by information from the world around them. And in each of those cases, right, we can have that relationship, and that person needn't be actively participatory. They're offering up themselves to the world in the way that they are, and we can tune into that and find what we need in that space. And of course, asterisk here, this is not in a creepy or stalkery way. This is in a way that we are in. Integrating and engaging with them through our thoughts and through our feelings and recognizing behaviors we want to emulate or avoid, right? We can certainly learn what not to do from other people as well. So just noticing that. So we're going to talk here about fictional in a moment. What even is real and not real, right? we could go to these existential questions. I'm not going to offer you the answers. I don't have them. I have what resonates for me, what responses I have. And yours might be similar or they might be very different. So just thinking about that, think about how you decide what is real. What is real for you? Who's the real you, right? And what are the fictional ways that you show up in the world? And now that could seem sketchy, that could seem insulting, but we do sometimes show up in a space. We've talked about masks in previous episode and all the different iterations. We might show up. Right, is a certain version of ourselves to maybe fit into an environment and we can talk about fitting in versus belonging. Or simply that's what works in that space. Or maybe we try something on. For me, it was shifting my name. So growing up, I was Amy Lou. My name is Amelia Louise, right? But I was Amy Lou growing up. And when I got to college, there were four Amy's on the rowing team. And as we went around, we had to pick a name. Some people offered up their middle name so they could use that partnership to identify it. Sometimes it's a last initial. And I said, well, my name's actually Amelia. So why don't we go with that? And for a hot second, I attempted Leah, the latter half of my name. That did not happen, did not resonate, did not fly, did not register. There was no connection to the real me through that. However, Amelia made sense. And so from there forward, there was Amelia. And I never made the request or the requirement that anyone who knew me as Amy previously, Shift, it wasn't a hard stop. This is the new name, but it was offered up as an opportunity. And even there, it's interesting to see those relationships and the origins and the root name that was there, how they shaped differently. And it was still the me happening, but there were different ways of engaging in that space. So let's take the opening part of Real nostalgia, coming to terms with the fictional. And where is that sheet pulled When do we peek behind the curtain? When do we find out that these things that we very much thought were real were not? And how does that shift our relationship with whomever it was that revealed it to us, right? That made it known that that which we believed in, believed to be true was not? And how did it change our relationship with the people who told us about those things, right? So maybe we could take, and I have this, I can notice it myself, this tendency to not want to have any spoiler alerts. Like, what if your kid is listening to this? It's on in the car. So I don't want to be the one, right, to pull the curtain. But we might think about some people and some characters. And in this case, we'll take the origin story of where this word was born and the Muppets. So growing up, right, you, if you're my age, you know, if you were growing up, In the 80s and watching television, you had this relationship with the Muppets, right? And they met with you after school, and they offered you teachings, and they showed you about relationships and learning in different ways, and they may have seemed to you to be very real. Now, it may have been obvious, right, different than a human character in a television show, that this felted frog wasn't actually real in existence, right? We were aware that there was a puppeteer involved, and also that there weren't felted frogs walking about with their own independent physiology and life-sustaining forces. However, there's still a realness about them, whether or not it was scripted, whether or not it was managed by a puppeteer, they were still sharing themselves, and you could feel their feelings. They would offer their gifts and talents. They had relationships. So there was a lot of real, even with that fictional character. That was being portrayed. And so, just taking a moment there and noticing what we allow to be fictional, what we can encompass into our own realities, how we make that shift from fully believing it to recognizing that it perhaps isn't grounded in reality in the same way that we might once have thought, and just pondering that for a bit. What is that experience like for you? The second part here, grieving the loss of youthful optimism. And in including that word youthful, it's interesting because we could associate it with specific ages, arcs of time, or just that essence of that youthful optimism. And automatically for me, I'll associate it with this naivete. But also from there, I get the sense of bliss. And we talk about. Ignorance is bliss, and we often think of ignorance in a negative way. But there can be times when ignorance can actually be very powerful and being able to tune out certain things or perhaps not having been subject to them in the first place can hold so much grace, space, and power. So grieving the loss of youthful optimism. And in that, there's also that sense of gratitude for having had it at any point in time. And we'll move into that in a little bit in the latter portion of this definition. But taking a moment to allow yourself to move through that process, to see how the knowing and the awakening and the awareness can be amazing, can be useful, can be powerful, but they can also be devastating and disappointing and disheartening. And you might wish yourself back before then, And there can be those moments before I knew and after I knew. And letting yourself be in that space, be in the sadness. Let yourself grieve it. Notice what that experience is and how once we do step through, we can't unsee. Once you have the awareness. Now, certainly you could choose to return to ignorance. You could pretend it away, but it's still there, right? That awakening, that awareness has happened. And so just letting yourself Grieve that loss of what it's like to be fully engaged. No questions, no doubting this relationship and thinking about that and thinking if you observe children engaging, right? And they're believing in the good in people. If you saw the sweet young guests on Sesame Street, for example, and they were all in, right? They were hugging Kermie and they were talking to him the same as they would talk to anyone else. And they were fully engaged in that. And it's beautiful, and they gained from that experience. And so did we by watching it and seeing that exchange of the valuing of this relationship and what this being had to offer. And so when we step through that, letting ourselves walk through the act of grief, of recognizing that there was that bliss and that it has shifted. And now I will wager to you, that it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be taken away or lost and gone forever. But there has been a seismic shift that happens. And that's where that stelja part comes in, right? And just feeling that, We're thinking about like root words and the relationship to pain of it. And I think about algesic, but I'm taking some liberties here in bringing that through in the purpose of including that in the word, the latter parts of this definition while honoring that, which was true enough to sustain you in the moment. And so as we bring this around, right? So we recognize, Oh, I thought that was real. It wasn't. Wow. That's hard. I'm sad. I wish it weren't that way. I wish I could go back to where it was and then taking this to a space. And we often talk about finding the gift or the opportunity or the transformation to be found honoring that which was true enough to sustain you in the moment. And in there, true enough, that can be a challenging phrase because it can feel like I'm trying too hard. I'm really stretching it. I'm forcing this into something that it's not. But also, this is going back to that, who is the true me? Right? Who is that true self? What are my characters and how are they shaped? And how am I presenting myself to the world? And what is true enough? And that could feel like, well, there's some falseness to that, Right? that this is a misrepresentation, that this is not authentic or impeccable. But I'd offer that we have the opportunity here to say, well, sometimes, and maybe all of the time, if we're really being honest, there are ways of being that are what we need in that time. And we can be as much of that version of ourselves as we can muster in that moment. And it might be as much of us as we know how to be, we don't have all the skills to pull our full selves through. If we need to check in and say, what is my reserve in this moment? I think about this in the lens of microaggressions. And when we go from being a bystander to an upstander, it requires us to check in and say, what can I afford to give here? And it's okay to say not that much today. I don't have the reserve. This isn't the moment. This isn't my battle. I need more support. I need more allies. I need to be in a safer space. So checking with that. And that's where that true enough can come in. We can say, well, enough of that was real, right? Kermit was real enough on that stage to be what we needed him to be. And it was right for that time. It was right for that moment in our lives. And that idea of sustain you and thinking about that. And we often talk about survive and thrive. And I'll offer up that perhaps sustain is somewhere In the middle. So maybe it's beyond that just making it survive space. And maybe it's not all the way to thrive in that steady state, flow zone, amazing experience. But it's on the spectrum. It's in between those two. And it's saying this experience and this engagement in this reality that was presented to me, whether it was grounded in truth or fiction, in that's so interesting that those were the words that just came up for me because we often go just fiction and nonfiction, right? We just have that counterpart, But I offered up truth and fiction. So we could have a whole nother episode on that because is there truth in fiction, even if it's not a story that was based on a very specific real situation? So interesting to pull that through there. But if it was true enough in that moment for the sustaining For us to continue on, to bridge us from one part of our lives to another, from one experience to the next, between relationships, perhaps, or phases in our life, or stages of learning and growth and experience. So perhaps, right, those were the seedlings that were planted in order to nourish us through those seasons of our lives in that moment. And that was what was absolutely right and real and appropriate, So if you think about that, where are the spaces in your life where you have strongly experienced real nostalgia? Where something that you so deeply related to and counted on and very much felt to be real and true, then was revealed not to be, to be something other than what it was, or to be founded in a different space or to hold different layers of truth than what you understood. And then you could take that moment to say, well, did the thing shift? Or was always very clear. Like Jim Henson never pretended they weren't Muppets. So was it presented that way? And we just chose whether by the act of not knowing whether by that just deep held belief and wish that it could be real, right? We chose To see it that way, we looked away from the fact that this was a stuffed animal in many ways. And instead, we saw what we needed to see in that being. We saw the friend, and we saw the mentor, and we saw the vulnerable, and we saw the artist, and we saw the compatriot, and we saw the codependent. We saw all of these things. And that creature that we likely felt in ourselves or were missing in ourselves or were missing in the relationships around us or that we loved most about the relationships around us. And so we looked past what was very clearly presented as a fictional, non-real character and made it what we needed it to be. And that we don't judge ourselves for being in that space. Many times you might think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that was real. Or, oh my gosh, I can't believe when I was little I did blank. Right? And instead saying, of course, when I was little, that was how I saw it. That was what I needed. That was, made the most sense for what was presented to me, for how I engaged with it, for what my feelings were at that time, what my levels of development and maturity and awareness. Of course, that is what I saw as real and true. And so rather than chastising or judging ourselves for that past experience, celebrating it really and truly. And then honoring that which was true enough to sustain you in the moment. Saying, yes, thank goodness that was available to me then. And thank goodness that was the mindset that I had. And thank goodness my heart space was open enough to receive that in such a way that it moved me through. And in those darker times in my life, it was available to me. In those brighter times in my life, I could go there reliably to celebrate and all along the way when there was tumult and there was chaos this was a steady state in space available for me and think about those resources we came back to and maybe you still do over and over again and you say wow right this is exactly what I need and so if you are going through a rough patch and you are in that space of awareness see how you can still tap into that past experience of you know this is what I need right now. And for me, there are many shows, television shows and movies, when it is a moment of overwhelm. When there are lots of things happening and there are big transitions and you just can't handle, number one, processing something new, having to pay too much attention. You, and number two, knowing what it meant to you in the past and that you can draw that feeling forward pretty reliably by tuning into it. It's so familiar. It might be an episode that you can quote every word, and you might know the arc of the story, and you might know the spectrum of emotions that are going to be presented to you, and you might tune into the episode that matches what you're needing. So if you're feeling down and sad, you're not necessarily going to go to a comedic movie. I've talked about one of the osteopathic mentors, Dr. Viola Fryman, would have a live musician playing with her patients. And if the child was anxious and guarded, she would play music that matched that feeling, not to try to change it, but to find that frequency, to show resonance, to acknowledge the experience, and then there could be a shift together toward a neutral space that would support them receiving the treatment more effectively. And so same with that which we're watching. We could go to television shows. We're talking about characters here and that relatability. Certainly, we could think about music that we might play, and then we go to that space that resonates what it is we're experiencing. And then perhaps we can walk ourselves out of that, if that's what we're seeking, because we can also just acknowledge and embrace whatever emotional experience we're having and be there with it, not try to shift it, switch it, and certainly not try to avoid it because we're then just fueling that which we're experiencing. And so see which of those characters and why is it that we chose them in certain stages of our life? Do they look very much like us or are they examples of what we hope to be? Or are they places where we are so glad we have moved on from? So notice those characters with whom you resonate and why. And don't hyper or overanalyze it, but just notice. Just notice how you have tuned into this and how you can find the resources you need in these spaces. And it doesn't mean you are checked out of your own reality, but it means you're finding ways to nurture that full human experience in the way that makes the most sense to you. And for those of you who may not watch television, that may not be your medium, who may not find much interest in movies, thinking about characters and books that you're reading now or that you read growing up in your youth. And there it's even more powerful because we are completely developing them in our minds. We have the words, yes, right? The author is fueling that, but you are generating that image. And for me, the Harry Potter series was one that was very difficult for me to tune into the movies because I was so highly invested in the books and how I created them in my head, how I created the characters and the visuals. I didn't want anyone else to tell me what it was supposed to look like. I wanted to stay in that space where it matched what I wanted and needed. And I still have yet to see a movie fully through. Right? The books are really where I find that resonance in my own relationship to them. So as you explore we nostalgia. And as you practice this space of noticing, what I also invite you to do is to engage this with yourself. And you could do that directly with your own relationship to you. And you can also look at that in your relationship with those around you. I'm going to read it to you one more time in its entirety here. And then you can see how you might take each of those pieces and open the inquiry with yourself. Coming to terms with the fictional and grieving the loss of youthful optimism by honoring that which was true enough to sustain you in the moment. So what might you have been coming to terms with that was fictional in you? And who says? Who pulled the curtain? Was it you? Was it someone else? Is it fictional? Is it real? Was it real? And grieving the loss of youthful optimism. Are you in a space where you maybe don't hold the same belief about all that's possible for you, of you, to you, within you, and is that okay? Is that true? Is it necessary? Are there options? Are you as limited as you think you might be? Is it bad to be limited? Is sometimes narrowing those opportunities, those choices, actually liberating and clarifying? Just notice, if you're grieving the loss of youthful optimism specific to yourself, while honoring that which was true enough to sustain you in the moment. What about you, within you, for you, of you, to you, through you was absolutely true enough? And what did it allow you to sustain in those different moments of your life? And may we celebrate and acknowledge the experience of real nostalgia in new ways. Please share with me your experience of this. You can always email me. This osteopathic life at gmail.com Visit the website and drop a message. Find me on Facebook or Instagram, and let's grow this conversation. As always, I'm grateful for your opportunity that you grant to me to share these experiences in here to develop new words. Words are my favorite, and to be able to coin one here is truly a gift. This is Dr. Amelia Beaky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.